All right, let's pray together. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, and we want, to take a mo- we want to take this moment, God, and come to you and just express our trust and our faith in you, Lord. God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that all Scripture is breathed out by you and profitable. Thank you, Lord, that every day we can open this book and with faith, Lord, we can believe that you will speak to us and it will make a difference in our lives. All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable. Thank you, Lord, in this moment that our only confidence, God, is that you will speak to us through your Word and it will make a difference, Lord. Thank you for this book. Thank you for revealing, revealing yourself from heaven. And God, and we pray in these next moments, God, that you would help me teach your Word and that you would help us as a church to hear your Word, Lord. God, we ask that you would speak to us and that it would make a difference in our life, Lord. That you would break into this moment with your revelation, with your scriptures. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll just say this before we get started. Um, This thought just hit me, and it's not the first time it happens a lot. And I just want you guys to know this. It is an awesome thing. It is an awesome thing to stand before a group of people uh, every other week. And to proclaim to a group of people that love Jesus about Jesus. It's an awesome thing to look around the room and say, that's my brother in Christ. That's my sister in Christ. And uh, I know many of you haven't experienced that before, but I'm telling you, it is an awesome blessing from God. And so I say that just to underline this fact that I love this church. And, and it is an awesome privilege to, to teach. There's, there's a lot of people that gets to teach every week to people that have no idea what's going, what's going on. And, and this church... Okay, there's this overwhelming, uh, there's this overwhelming sense that this church loves Jesus, and I'm so thankful for that. It's an awesome thing to do. Uh, let me just say this: if you weren't here with us last week, last week we uh, Ryan kicked off a series on the Great Commission, and we'll be in it for several more weeks. Probably at least six more weeks we'll be in the Great Commission. And he unpacked that last week, but we're going to do a little quick review. At the beginning, so if you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 28. Make your way there. And we're going we're gonna to review the mandate okay, given to the church in Matthew 28 together again. This will be real quick. Uh, nothing will be covered in here that wasn't covered in, gr- in much greater detail last week. But I know we got some new people here. And even if you were here last week, it's good to be reminded of these things over and over. So we're going to read Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. You read that with me. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So I want to remind you again that in verse 19 and 20, okay, Jesus gives us Four verbs in verse 19 and 20 that we are, we are about to be, we're about to, we, we are supposed to be about those things. Okay, those four verbs in verse 19 and 20. And what are they? Go, make, baptize, and teach. 
Okay? And what we walked into last week, and if you weren't here, the way those verbs work out in the New Testament because of something called verb tenses that happens in the Greek, it's called a participle or an imperative. Okay? But the way that works out in that text is that one of those four verbs is like an exclamation point. It is the main emphasis, the punchline, the thing that you're supposed to take away from that passage. And the other three really hang off of that as modifiers and explain to you how to do the main thing. Okay? So if you weren't here last week, I just want you to think, man, I wonder which one of the four is like the punchline, the exclamation point. Okay? And before I answer you, I want to tell you a story, a quick story. Okay? I remember at Mississippi State, I was at the Baptist Student Union. Okay? And I remember going one night, it was my first year there, to hear this guy unpack the Great Commission. Uh, his name was Keenan Vaughn. Since then, he's gone to start a discipleship ministry in Memphis. But it was the first time that I'd heard somebody take Matthew 28 and unpack the verb tenses. Okay, and it was the first time I heard, I heard somebody tell me, this is the exclamation point. This is the main thing. And the other things hang off of this. And the way he did it was he explained to you what I just did. He exp explained to you how the verb tenses worked. But he didn't immediately tell you which one was the main emphasis. And so just as a fun little game, you know, in, in that meeting, he said, I'm going to count to three. And when I get done, I want everybody to yell out what you think the main emphasis is. Now, we're not going to do that here. Okay. But I remember that night. He says, one, two, three. And everybody in the room just yells out, go. And he just in a, in a funny way. Okay. He was just in a joking way. He leans forward and says, No. And I remember this sticking out, and then he goes on to explain that the imperative in the, in the Great Commission is to make disciples, okay? And go, teach, baptize. They hang off of the main imperative, and they tell you how to do it. And I remember that rocking my world, okay? I remember saying, this makes perfect sense. And I remember just being really encouraged in that moment. And I'm going to tell you that if you know that, okay, just because you know information doesn't necessarily mean you're walking in it, but even you knowing that information, okay? And I hate to say it like this, but this is such a rare thing, even in the church, okay, to actually understand what Jesus has mandated in the Great Commission. So I just tell you that story. These other verbs modify how to make disciples. All that was a review of what Ryan unpacked last week, okay? It'd be really good for you to go back and listen to that uh, if you want to get a lot more solid on that. The bottom line is this, that Jesus in the Great Commission in Matthew 28 has given the church a perpetual authoritative mandate. And the mandate is, the thing that you need to take away is make disciples. This is what Jesus has commanded us. Now what I'm praying for every person uh, sitting under this teaching series is that two things would begin to happen to you. First is the information that there would be a moment of clarity that all the fog would be pushed away and you would know exactly what God has called you to do. Okay? That you would understand it. That you wouldn't walk in, in a fog. Okay? And then the second thing that I'm praying that would happen to you as you sit under this teaching series is that you would begin to feel personally responsible okay, to Jesus Christ to obey Him in this mission to make disciples. Okay, so last week we unpacked what it, what it was Today, we'll be digging into the heart motives behind the Great Commission. So today, I'm going to unpack how should we think about 
uh, the greatest commandment, love God, in relation to the, to the Great Commission. And then next week, Ryan will unpack how should we think about the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself in relation to the, to the Great Commission. So that's just a heads up of what's coming at you. Okay? Now, why heart work motives isn't... This is important work. Why is this important work? Why is heart getting behind the heart of the Great Commission? Why do you do what you do? Why is this important work? Okay? And I would remind you from the get-go, from right now to as we finish, that what we're about in this church is, you could call it gospel obedience. Okay? We're not just about any old type of obedience that at this church. We want gospel obedience. And what I mean by that is obedience rooted in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Okay? Obedience from this legal status of righteousness. Okay? Obedience empowered by the Holy Spirit and fueled by the gospel and the grace of God. Not just any old type of obedience. We want duns rooted in New Testament dues and what Jesus has done. So we want to we laser beam focus the Great Commission and we want to get really, really, really specific about why we do what we do. And we're targeting this. Gospel obedience. If you want a uh, verse for that, Romans 1.5 calls it the obedience of faith. And Ephesians 6.6 6 calls it doing the will of God from the heart. Okay? So just stack some text on that. We believe in this church, if you've never been here before, uh, we believe deeply in gospel emphasis. Okay? Gospel emphasis. We, we believe that it's, it's the only thing that brings about heart transformation. Okay? There are all kinds of strategies and ways to go about bringing about obedience. And we believe that the gospel is the only thing that can transform the hearts of man. Okay? Every other strategy is behavior modification. And the reason I say that is there is a way to teach the Great Commission with the wrong emphasis. Okay? Let me give you an example of what I mean by that. How would you go about trying to bring about obedience in the wrong emphasis? Here's an example. There's an old quote. Uh, most people attribute this to the Puritan John Bunyan. Listen to this quote. He says, uh, Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. Okay? That's just a little, I, I can never be that poetic, okay? That's just a little example. There's a way to try to bring about Christian obedience with the law as the motive. And what he's saying is it doesn't even work, okay? The gospel is what transforms our hearts, okay? So, so there's your John Bunyan quote, but the real reason why we believe in gospel emphasis is because it's taught in the Word of God, okay? That's the, that's the story at the end of the day, what we hang our hat on. This is the teaching of the New Testament, so for that, turn to Titus chapter 3. And I want you to uh, dig into this passage with me. I'm going to start by reading verse 8 in Titus 3. Some of you have heard us talk about this verse some. But I want to read it and get you to think about it for a second. It says this, The saying is trustworthy. Now, if you've never, it's easy to miss this verse. I read Titus for a long time. And so if you've read Titus 50 times and you think you know the book, you might still not know this. Okay? Titus 3.8. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these 
things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Okay, let's break this down Barney style. Real simple. This verse, there is a trustworthy saying. We good there? There's a trustworthy saying. And the promise is, is that if we insist on this trustworthy saying, whatever it is, right? We have a promise from God that it will cause believers to be devoted to good works. Okay? Back of your mind, you're thinking, he's unpacking gospel emphasis. What does that mean? Okay? So, we, in, in, just in wisdom, we would, we would be wise to say, man, that's a great promise from the New Testament. I wonder what that trustworthy saying is. I want to know what that trustworthy saying is. And we as a church would be wise to think about, oh, if we insist on this trustworthy saying, we have a promise from God, we have a promise from God that it will cause believers to be devoted to good works. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't think about very many good works that would be better to be devoted to than the Great Commission. Okay, so how do you apply Titus 3.8 to the Great Commission? Okay, there is a trustworthy saying. Now, I'm about to do something. It's called real simple uh, Bible study. Okay, I'm about to find out what that trustworthy saying is. And I'm not going to Genesis. I'm not going to another book in the New Testament. I'm just going to back up. The closest saying in proximity to that promise. And I'm going to read it to you. Okay? And I'm going to go back and I'm going to read verse 4 through verse 7. And I want this to fall on your heart and you to understand it. Okay? But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. And by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy. Okay? This is a summary of the gospel of Jesus and the clear teaching. Okay? This is not textual gymnastics, the clear teaching of that passage is that if you insist on this saying, which is a summary of the gospel, it will cause believers to be devoted to good works. Okay? We can believe God. This is why we believe in gospel emphasis. Okay? There's a trustworthy saying and we must insist on it. It has a powerful effect on believers. All right? Believer in this room, you have been shown great mercy in Jesus Christ. God has shown great love to you in the gospel. Think about these things. This should drive you. Jesus Christ paid the blood price for you. He laid out his life for you. And this should drive you into glad, joyful service of King Jesus. Okay? Think about this. This heart transformation that brings about glad service to Jesus is what Paul experienced in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want you to read verse 14 with me. It says this. It says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Okay? 
For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. And this is what we're going after today. Okay, you begin to put some meat on. What, what are we going after today? We're going after the love of Christ controls us. This is what we're going after. Glad service to King Jesus. Heart transformation. The gospel, this message that one died for all, drove Paul into a rich enjoyment of the love of Jesus. And the love of Jesus drove Paul into the mission of Jesus. It compelled him. It controlled him. Okay? This is the powerful work of grace that is available to every believer. This privileged mindset, this privileged mindset should saturate the way every believer thinks about the Great Commission. It's not just that we have to. It's that we get to. Okay? There's two different ways to hear this, to hear commands from God. Okay? Jesus gives an authoritative mandate, and we're not playing games. It's a commandment. We're not saying that it's not. Okay? But the way that should fall on a redeemed sinner's ears is that we have been invited into participation in the mission of Jesus. This is a privilege. Okay? And we should walk into glad service of King Jesus. This privilege theme is developed even further, about six verses down in verse 20 of 2 Corinthians 5. He says... We are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. I want you to think about that phrase, and I want to ask you just a quick question. Have you ever in your life met anybody who just absolutely loved their job? Okay, and, and they should stick out to you because it is so rare to meet someone who absolutely loves their job. Some people kind of like their job, but some people love their job. Okay? And, it's, and, 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 and it, it affects everything they do, they do because everybody else goes to work every day, but they get to go do what they love to do. Okay? Have you ever met somebody like that? That should saturate the way that you think about the Great Commission. We are ambassadors for Jesus, for Christ. We clock in every day for the King of Glory. Okay? And we're redeemed sinners and we get to clock in every day in, in service to the one that we love. Jesus has saved us and we have been called into service of Jesus. This privileged mindset. Okay? I want you to think about that. In the Great Commission, Jesus has given us a command that we have a duty to obey. Hang that word on the side of your head for a second. Duty. Okay? But I want to remind you that the gospel transforms what we ought to do and God gives us a desire to do what we ought to do. And what this means is that not only do we have duty to obey God, we actually have from the Holy Spirit of God and the work of grace in us, we have delight to obey the commandments of God. Okay? We can delight to do what we're supposed to do. And I want to remind you that it doesn't mean that there's not a place for discipline in your life. Okay? Uh, this, this doesn't mean that. Okay, but what this means is that discipline alone, and by that I mean just a raw resolve to obey the commandments of God, that you're about to run through the wall no matter how you feel, that is not enough to fulfill this mission. It is not enough to sustain you. It's not enough to see this task to the end. Okay? Your heart needs to be ignited for the Great Commission. It's impossible to finish this task without it. You need to burn with passion for Jesus. Okay? There is no way around that. A raw resolve to obey is not enough. Okay? And this is what we have in the grace of God. 
as followers of the Lamb, it should be our joy to proclaim our Lord. Okay? Our joy to open our mouth and things about Jesus Christ, our Savior, come out. It should be our joy. Okay? And His commission to make disciples to the end of the earth, to the end of time. You have been called into this as a believer. And I want to just underline this one more time. What a privilege for a redeemed sinner to be on the mission of Jesus Christ. What a privilege for a redeemed sinner. Okay? So far, we've covered the gospel, okay? the uh, gospel obedience. And then now, we've gotten into this uh, idea of the, of the great commandment. Okay? Uh, digging into this even further, I want to go to Matthew 22. Go to Matthew 22, and we're going to read um, the greatest commandment in all the Bible. And we're going to read 36 through 38. Matthew 22, 36 through 38. So we cover the gospel, and we're about to dig into the great commandment. Matthew 22, verse 36 through 38 says this. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Okay? So we just want to ask simple questions. What is the greatest commandment according to Jesus? Not to preach the gospel. Not to make disciples. The greatest commandment according to Jesus is to love the Lord your God. Okay? Make disciples. The Great Commission is never supposed to sit at the top. Okay? This is from the words of Jesus. Or I would be stoned, right? This is from the words of Jesus. Red letters in some Bibles. Jesus said this. Great Commission doesn't sit at the top. Love the Lord your God sits at the top. Do not ever let the external things sit above the internal things in the Christian life. Okay? Now, listen to me very closely and do not misunderstand what I'm saying. We're about to unpack the great command. Okay? Here's what I'm not saying. I am not trying in one ounce to downplay your responsibility to make disciples of all nations. Not one ounce. And here's why I say that. Okay? Ryan unpacked your responsibility last week that Jesus has authoritatively commanded you to make disciples. I reviewed it just a second ago. Okay? So don't misunderstand me. Some of you may have been under conviction from the Holy Spirit because your heart cares very little, if you are honest with yourself, cares very little about the mission of Jesus. Okay? And if you were to take inventory of your life, there's very little activity, okay, that evidence and activity that you obey this great commission. Okay? Some of you, that might be true, that you were under conviction. And the moment that I started exalting the gospel and the love of God, you started to feel better about yourself. Okay? That is not what I'm going after. I'm not trying to downplay your responsibility to obey the great commission. I'm trying to fuel it and to stir it up. Okay? And what I'm saying is, when I say the great commandment sits at the top, I'm not saying that it it makes it okay for you to disobey the Great Commission. I'm saying if you hang the Great Commandment at the top, it fuels it. It is the fuel to to put white hot worship in your heart to Jesus and to enter into this mission. And we're going to unpack the scriptures, okay, on this. I think this is the emphasis from the Word of God. 
So I am not trying to downplay your responsibilities. We unpack these things. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to fuel this thing from the word of God. This is actually taught. The, the love for God and the internal desires for Jesus fueling the mission of Jesus is actually taught in the Great Commission itself. And this is often overlooked, but look at Matthew 28, verse 17. It says this. And when they saw him, they worshipped him and some doubted. So even in the Great Commission itself, we see that worship of Jesus precedes the commission of Christ to make disciples in all the earth. Okay? Now I want to ask you this. Jesus gives that authoritative mandate in Matthew 28. What do you think the first thing that the disciples who heard that commandment, what do you think the first thing that they, that they did was? And you would think that they went out like a firecracker and dust flying up behind them, right? To get after obedience to this mission. Look at Luke 24, uh, verse 50 through 53. We're going to read that together. Okay. Jesus gives his great commission, and then what's the first thing that happens? Luke 24, 50 through 53 says this. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Okay? So you see that the Great Commission is preceded by and immediately followed by the worship of Jesus Christ. Okay? This is in the text. The internal passion for Jesus fuels the external labor for Jesus. And you also see this in John 21. Let's read that together. This gets into Jesus' dialogue with Peter um, after his resurrection in John 21. We're going to read verses 15 through 17. Same idea here. Uh, the internal passion fueled the external labor for Christ. 15 through 17. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Okay, three times. And one passage from the Scriptures, you see love for Jesus. Precede labor for Christ. Three times in one text. Okay? And, and what I, we're submitting to you is that the great commandment fuels the great commission. So we see this, this is a powerful principle in the New Testament. Okay? Letting the great commandment stay the greatest commandment fuels a white-hot passion for the mission of Jesus. So do not invert the order. Hear it, see it, do it is never enough. It will never be enough. Hear it, see it, do it. Just a raw resolve to obey. We have to be enthralled by the Christ that we proclaim to the world. Absolutely enthralled by Jesus. There's no way around this. Okay? Sticking with this thought, listen to this John Piper quote from Let the Nations Be Glad. 
This absolutely rocked my world when I was in college. And I remember reading this. I'm going to read the just. This is the first paragraph of the book. And I finished the book, but the only thing I could think about the whole book was the first paragraph. I could have put it down and got everything I needed from that book from, from just like three or four little sentences. Listen to this. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. And I remember reading that and being like, I don't know about this John Piper dude, but that dude is crazy. Okay? Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. And I remember that thought just striking me. I was, I was a senior in college, and I knew in that moment that I had been so guilty. He gave me an order in, in, that, in that little quote. I knew in that moment that I had been so guilty of inverting that order, that I exalted the things that we do above the things that we feel, that I exalted the, in, the external above the internal. And he pierced me with that quote. He said, no, missions is not the chief end, worship is. Okay? And I know that many of you in here have some kind of similar story happen to you. That's not unique just to me. Okay? But I remember this quote just powerfully affecting me. Okay? So we have covered so far the motivation of the gospel and unpacking that the great commandment fuels the great commission. All right? And they're not the same thing. The greatest commandment is not to preach the gospel. The greatest commandment is not to make disciples, but they're connected they are connected forever. And for the rest of our time today, we're going to unpack a few ways that they're connected. Okay? So here we go. I don't do the, normally do this, but this helped me organize this uh, information. Point number one. Obey the Great Commission because you love God, dot, dot, dot. And genuine love for God always produces obedience to God. Jesus Christ hammered this point. In John 14, we're going to read a few verses. Listen to this. Love for God always produces obedience to God. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Clear enough? Verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Clearer still. Verse 23, Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Verse 24, Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Okay? There is no such thing. There is no such thing as somebody who loves Jesus that does not obey Jesus. That is a figment of our imagination. Jesus says that person doesn't even exist. It's an oxymoron. Okay? There is no such thing as a person who loves Jesus and yet doesn't obey Jesus. And what this means, we should be very careful. I hear this language just sometimes just being flown out of people's mouth. Okay? We should be very careful saying things like this. So and so loves Jesus. They love Jesus. Okay? Why should we be careful about that? Because Jesus Himself said, 
that if they don't obey Jesus, then they don't love Jesus. There's no such thing as a person who loves Jesus that does not obey Jesus. Luke 6, verse 46 says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Point number two. Obey the Great Commission because you love God. Dot, dot, dot. And, and you desire to bring God pleasure. What am I getting at with this one? You think about your relationships in your life of people that you love. Parent, child, husband, wife, a close friend. Anyone that you love, okay, you desire to bring pleasure or joy or delight to. Okay? That's one of the characteristics of love. And this same thing is true in your relationship with God. You delight to bring God joy. Uh, you delight to bring the one that you love pleasure and joy. Listen to 1 Samuel uh, 15, 22. This verse teaches us that our obedience brings great delight to our Heavenly Father. 1 Samuel 15, 22 says this, Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Okay, This verse teaches us that God takes great delight in our obeying His voice. Okay? And if you start to think of, and unpack that for a second, and, and you start unpacking that, oh, oh, wait a second, you mean as I step out in obedience to the commands of God, that I can bring joy and delight and pleasure to the sovereign God of all creation? This is a powerful motive for obedience in the Christian life for the one who loves God. Point number three. Obey the Great Commission because you love God, not because you desire to perform before man. Okay? We all need to be reminded that you can be very involved in evangelism and disciple making and have a wicked heart before God. Matthew 23, verse 16. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single convert. And when he becomes a convert, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. That's hardcore, right? Cross-cultural missionary. And they are busting hell wide open, according to Jesus. That's hardcore, isn't it? Another example of this is found in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Paul is telling the Philippian church about a powerful revival that's happening in the city of Rome. Okay? And he describes it in verse 14 like this. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so Paul's relaying to the Philippian church, there's something unique happening here. Most of the Christians in the city of Rome have been emboldened to fearlessly proclaim the gospel. And this is a good thing, right? Like you're, you're sitting there saying, are you serious? Most of the Christians in the city of Rome, a huge city, most of the Christians emboldened to fearlessly proclaim the gospel. And that's a good thing, right? And then in the very next verse, that group gets split right down the middle into two categories. Listen to verse 15. Some indeed preached Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. 
And verses 16 and 17, the next two verses, go on to explain that the ones who preach Christ from goodwill do so out of a heart motive of love. And the ones who preach Christ from envy and rivalry do so out of a heart motive of selfish ambition. Okay, can you, can you even fathom this? Some will preach the God. This means that some will preach the gospel because they love God and man. That will be the motive of some as they proclaim the gospel. That word in Philippians 1 is actually the Greek word for pleasure. Okay? And what that means, and I've told you, told you this before. Here's an example. What should you think when you read that? Well, you should think Chick-fil-A. Okay? You hand them your money, and you take your order, and you hand them your money, and you say, thank you. And they say what? My pleasure. And, you, and they bring you uh, something at the table, and you say, thank you. And, and, and they say what? My pleasure. And they take your stuff at, at the end when you're ready to leave, and you say, thank you. And they say, my pleasure. Some people obey the Great Commission like that. Jesus says, go make disciples. And some say, my pleasure, Lord. I count it as glad service to you, King Jesus. It's my pleasure to proclaim you among the nations. It's my pleasure to make disciples. Some preach Christ like that. Okay? This is a, uh, the following text is going to be a scary reminder that activity for Jesus does not always equal obedience to Jesus. This is 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12 through 13. This passage reminds us that our labor for Jesus will be evaluated by Christ Himself. Okay? Let's read 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12 and 13. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Okay? And if you would have known me in college, you would know exactly where, what I'm about to read right now. But a lot of you didn't. So, Leonard Ravenhill is about to unpack this passage for us. Okay? 1 Corinthians 3, verse 14 through thir- uh, 12 through 13, in a, fa- in a really famous sermon called The Judgment Seat of Christ. A little sn- snippet. He says this There's an interesting difference between wood, hay, stubble, and gold, silver, and precious stones. And he says this, Wood, hay, and stubble are above the ground. They catch the eye. Silver, gold, and precious stones are below the ground and nobody sees them. And then in this Holy Spirit fire, British voice, he leans up. And he tells a group of people and he says, there's a lot of public ministry that's going down in ashes that day, my brother. It's a powerful reminder that if you spend your life performing before man in the mission of Jesus, it will go up like ashes in eternity. Won't count for anything. Okay? Don't waste your life performing before man. Let your obedience be fueled by by love for Jesus Christ. Okay? Here's Romans chapter 1 verse 9. Be like this. Paul served God with his spirit in the gospel. Or Galatians chapter 1 verse 10. Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Point number four. Obey the great commission because you love God. 
dot, dot, dot. And you desire to proclaim how glorious God is among the nations. Okay? Some of you may have never considered this. Let's unpack this. Evangelism rooted in a love for God terminates in the glory of God. Evangelism itself. Think about this. When we share the gospel, we actually give praise to God. Because the gospel exalts God's perfections. The gospel exalts the perfections of God. It shows and displays His love and mercy towards sinners. The gospel does. The gospel shows and displays God's justice and wrath towards sin. This is the gospel. The gospel shows and displays God's infinite wisdom in devising this plan of salvation that would allow Him to be just and yet justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Okay? The gospel, this glorious gospel brings great glory to God because it shows who God is. Okay, listen to Psalm uh, 96, verse 1 through 3. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Here we go. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. God is most glorified for what He's done in Jesus. And we get to declare this mighty work of grace that glorifies God to the world. Okay? Our proclamation itself, done with the right heart motive, glorifies Jesus. So we should declare His glory among the nations. This is a powerful motive for the one who loves God. And this is our last point. Point number five. It says this. God is worthy of praise. This is a truth, okay? God is worthy of praise from every tribe, tongue, and nation. If you love God, you desire that He receive the praise that He is due. And we're about to unpack the Mount Everest of motivations for you to obey the Great Commission. So I'm going to read that one more time. This is the highest of the high right here. Okay? God is worthy of praise from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And if you love God, you desire that He receive the praise that He is due. The worthiness of Jesus Christ is infinite. His greatness is unsearchable. Okay? Isaiah 40 reminds us that we shouldn't think about the nations glorifying Jesus in the wrong way. Okay? It reminds us that even all the praise of the nations, okay, pale in comparison to the great worth of Jesus Christ. Listen to Isaiah 40, verse 15 through 17. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as dust on the scales. Okay? So you got, go to the grocery store and, and like there's a little dust on the little checkout scale. That right there, wiping that off. That's what all the nations are like before the God of the Bible. Like a drop in a bucket. Okay? Verse 17. All the nations are as nothing before Him. They are accounted by Him as less than nothing in emptiness. Okay? Yet God has ordained that He be praised among all the peoples of the earth. Isaiah, 40, uh, Isaiah 43 verse 21 tells us that God formed humanity to show forth or to, to declare His own praise. So that the nations are like a drop in a bucket before this God, but God has ordained that He be praised among all peoples. Okay? 
All right, I want you, I want you to I want you to understand the difference between verse my point number four and my point number five. Okay, my previous point, point number four, tells you that God is glorified through the act as we proclaim the gospel. Evangelism itself glorifies God. Okay. And that should be a motive to proclaim it. Declares glory among the nations. But this point is different. Okay? This point is different. This point is as we declare His glory among the nations in this glorious gospel, some will believe. Okay? Some will respond to this glorious gospel. And when that happens, Jesus Christ just got a worshiper. Okay? And this point is that He is worthy of worshipers covering the face of the earth. From the, to the ends of the earth, all nations, Jesus Christ is worthy of worshipers covering this earth. Okay? Uh, listen to Romans 15, verse 16. Paul was called to be... Here's Romans 15, 16. A minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. The offering of the Gentiles. Alright? I just want to hang some meat on that word. Every time you see that word Gentiles in the Bible, let a green light go off in your head. That means nations. That means nations. Gentiles means nations. Okay? The offering of the Gentiles. Jesus is going to be presented an offering. And the offering that He's going to be presented is the Gentiles, the nations. Jesus will be presented an offering of the nations. I want you to see that. Uh, this has been God's plan from the very beginning. Um, in Psalm 2, we walk into an inner Trinitarian dialogue between God the Father and God the Son. We're going to pick it up in Psalm 2, verse 7 through 9. I want you to see this. That song, uh, let me just say this. That song that we sang a minute ago, you said, ask and I'll give the nations to you. Biblically, that song is God the Father telling Jesus to ask for the nations. So we're heralding this thing and we're celebrating this thing. And you can celebrate it with the knowledge of, of what it declares, of what it actually talks about. Uh, verse 7 through 9, let's read it. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And that passage, God the Father invites Jesus, God the Son, to ask Him for the nations as a heritage. Or a possession. Okay? You walk into this eternal conversation between God the Father, God the Son. Now, I wonder if Jesus asked. God invited him to ask. I wonder if the Son ever asked for the nations. And we know that, God, we know that Jesus did. Okay? Listen to Revelation chapter 7. And we get a snapshot in, uh, into eternity of all nations before King Jesus. We're going to read verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hand. Okay? All nations are, are surrounded, are surrounding Jesus. 
That's a snapshot into eternity. Something has been promised to Jesus by the Father. Okay? He will receive an all-nations heritage, an all-nations possession, an all-nations offering. My favorite way to say it is an all-nations bride. Something's going down. Something's been sealed. Something's came out of the Father's mouth. It's already been promised. It will happen. Okay? Something will happen. Jesus will be presented an offering of the nations. Listen to Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Malachi chapter 1, verse 11. From the, for, sorry, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. And I want to ask you this question. It's going to happen. It's going down. And I want to ask you the question of how. How is this going to go down? How will God be exalted in all the earth? His name will be great among the nations, but how? And let's read Isaiah 49 verse 6. This text is about Jesus. Isaiah 49.6 It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. Okay? I want you to know what just got said. To raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the ones of Israel? Oh, that's too light for you. That's not enough. Okay? And then the verse finishes by saying this, I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is Jesus. God has made him a light to the nations and his salvation will reach to the ends of the earth. Then listen to Psalm 48 verse 10. This is a less familiar verse. So I want you to read it a couple times. Okay? Powerful principle here. Psalm 48 verse 10 says, As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Read it one more time. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Jesus has been made a light for the nations and His salvation will go to the ends of the earth. How? Okay? As the name of Jesus is proclaimed to the ends of the earth, so follows the praise of Jesus. Psalm 48.10 As the name of Jesus is carried to the ends of the earth, so follows the praise of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Okay? Psalm 45, verse 17 I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. And then listen to this. This is our charge in Acts 9.15. How is Jesus going to get the worship that He's worthy of in all the earth? How is this going to happen? Acts 9.15. But the Lord said to him, Go, for He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles. To carry the name of Jesus before the nations. As the name of Jesus reaches to the ends of the earth, so follows the praise of Jesus. This great commission that Jesus has commanded us ends in victory in Revelation 5, verse 9, as we will sing this song to King Jesus forever and ever and ever. 
Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. It's going to happen. It will end in victory. And the one who loves God has this powerful provoking within him that Jesus is worthy of worshipers all over the earth and I will carry his name to the nations. Okay? So I want to walk into, instead of application today, which we would normally do, I want to leave you with an extended quote okay, about a small Moravian church. And as I read this, I want something to stir in your soul. I'm asking God to stir something in your soul that God would do something like this at this church for His namesake. Okay? So instead of application, here it is. Piper says this about a small Moravian church. It's extended quote, so listen up. I have been moved deeply in reading about the life of Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf. Many of you know about him, some don't. He was a German born in 1700 who founded a community of earnest Christians called the Lord's Watch. The community became a part of the Moravian Church and was best known for its unparalleled missionary zeal. In 1727, the community started a round-the-clock prayer watch. There were about 300 people in the community at the beginning, and various people committed to pray for one of the 24 hours in the day. This 24-hour prayer watch lasted unbroken for 100 years. In 1792, 65 years after the founding of the community, with a lamp of prayer still burning, the little community had sent out 300 missionaries to the unreached peoples of the West Indies, Greenland, Norway, Turkey, and North America. They were utterly and radically dedicated to making Jesus known. I'm going to break the quote for just a second. Unparalleled missionary zeal. Okay? What drives this type of zeal and this mission for Jesus? What drives these people? What was their motivation? If we could just talk with them for a second, what were you thinking? What, what are the things that you were thinking when this happened? We know the Lord did it. We know the Lord did this among you, but what, how did He do it? What were you thinking about? What drove you? And we'll pick the quote back up and we'll find out. Piper continues. And the story goes that when the first two young missionaries boarded the ship in Copenhagen to set sail for the West Indies, perhaps never to return, they lifted their hands as if in a sacred pledge and they called out to their friends on the shore, may the lamb who was slain receive the reward for his suffering. They, this is how they wanted to be remembered. Okay? Okay? Do you see what they just said? If we were to have a conversation, what drove you? May the lamb who was slain receive the reward for his suffering. Translation, I'm doing this because I love Jesus and he's worthy to be praised on every corner of this earth. Obey the great commission because you love God. Love for Jesus fuels an unparalleled missionary zeal. Okay? Let the greatest commandment stay the greatest commandment and fuel this great commission in your life. How awesome 
to be in glad service to King Jesus. How awesome is this privilege that we get to play a part of the mission of Christ. Alright, this is my prayer for this church as we close. And then Blake's going to pray for us in a second. May the love of Christ, may the love of Christ drive us across the street and to the ends of the earth to the end of time. May the Lamb that was slain receive the reward for His suffering. It's my prayer.